That is some of the new Metallica album you just heard. It's the number one album in America on the Billboard 200 right now. And it's our topic on this week's Pop Shop Podcast headliner interview. My name's Chris Payne. I'm a staff writer at Billboard. Hardwired to Self-Destruct, the Metallica album, came out back on November 18th. It's their first album in eight years. If you talk to most old school fans, they haven't been too favorable of the recent musical output of those guys. But then again, I've seen a good amount of takes out there calling this Metallica's best album in, say, 25 years, best since the Black Album, perhaps, you know? It's a lot a lot at stake here. A lot of people take this band very seriously, and rightfully so. So I want to talk to a big, big fan for this podcast, an authority on Metallica. And I found that person who also happens to be a real pro at podcasting. My guest this week is Robert Mays. You might know him from his NFL podcasts with The Ringer, The Ringer NFL Show. Before The Ringer, he was with Grantland. He actually covered Metallica's pre-Super Bowl concert this past February for Billboard.com. So he knows his stuff. He's got some opinions on this album, what they accomplished here, what's in store for Metallica, how they've maybe aged gracefully or maybe sometimes aged not so gracefully. Um Talked about what it's like growing up as a Metallica fan, knowing that they're awesome, but just how they're never going to be the coolest thing out there. Uh, you, you'll hear me telling some very silly Metallica jokes. So yeah, we we did it. We talked Metallica. I hope you enjoy this to go along with the new album. After you're done, I appreciate it if you could rate the show. Hop on to iTunes, give us a star rating. That helps tremendously with everything we do with the Pop Shop podcast for Billboard. Helps it with showing up on iTunes main pages, stuff like that. And specifically, aside from just giving us stars, tell us what you think. Specific things you like, don't like, would like to see more with the podcast. And you can also hit me up on Twitter, aside from leaving it in the comments. You can uh, tweet at me. It's a uh, at C-Payne, C-P-A-Y-N-E, on a plane, O-N-A-P-L-A-N-E. C-Payne on a plane on Twitter. Let me know what you think about the show. And, uh, yeah, so that's pretty much all I have to say. Here it is, me and Robert Mays talking Metallica. Enjoy. Welcome to today's episode of the Pop Shop Podcast's headliner interview. We're talking Metallica today. My guest is noted superfan and noted podcaster, Ringer staff writer Robert Mays. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, um, thanks for hopping on for the call. So, so set the scene. You're an NFL writer. You read Metallica a lot, and they just released their first album in eight years recently, so it's been a big year for them. How do you think Metallica's year compares so far to your favorite NFL team's year, the Chicago Bears? Uh, Metallica's year is much better. I feel like there is some way you could spin Metallica's year as a positive. I mean, they have the number one album in the country right now. I think most of the reviews that have come back, the consensus is that it's not an embarrassment. There's actually some pretty decent songs on this album, which is a departure from some of the stuff they put out, say, in the last decade or so. So there's some light at the end of the Metallica tunnel. That is not true for the Bears. There's absolutely no way to spin the last 12 months positively. And I don't think any members of Metallica have tested positive for PEDs this year. No, and every member of Metallica is more likable than Jay Cutler, which <laughs> that says way more about Jay Cutler than it does for Metallica. Lars Ulrich is a member of Metallica. 
So on the continuum of likability, you have Lars Ulrich far more favorably than Jay Cutler. I think absolutely, which, again, uh, Lars Ulrich is not seen favorably by a lot of people. But if we were to do some polling, I would almost guarantee that Lars Ulrich's approval rate is higher than Jay's. (laughs) So we don't want to smear him too much because, like you said, very uh, studiously, they have the number one album in America right now. 291, I have these numbers in front of me, 291,000 albums sold first week for 2016. Very good numbers, so... Things are looking good for them, and you said that your take on the album is pretty positive? Yeah. I mean, listening to it the first time, especially the first few songs, they really get you. And I wouldn't say that any this album as a whole is something that I'd throw into the Master of Puppets or Kill Em All or Ride the Lightning conversation. I wouldn't even say that it reminds me of one of those. But a lot of songs on this album, I feel, fit in with that canon. You know, there are a lot of elements of the first two songs. I think of Atlas Rise more so than most so than Hardwired. That's driving in the way that Kill 'Em All songs are. There are elements of good load on songs like Man Unkind. Spit Out the Bone is like crusher ending song in the same way that like Damage Incorporated is. So I think there it harkens back to Metallica albums that I like. And although it's not from start to finish even close to what those are, there are elements that really grab you in the way those did. Yeah, so a lot of the consensus that I picked up from the review so far is that good album, some people calling it their best one in the uh, post-Black Album era, although I don't hear too many people saying, like, yeah, they did the right thing in making two albums worth of this. So what do you think of that? If it were up to me, and it's not up to me, which is why this is Metallica, they honestly don't really care. I, that's the sense I've always gotten, is that they're going to do what they do. And the amount of backlash and the reception is only so important to them. So, But again, in my view, if you took maybe seven or eight songs off this album and made it a similar length to other albums we've seen from Metallica in the past, you know, Ride the Lightning's eight songs long, so is Master of Puppets, so is Justice you get a better album. There's just more fat on this than you'd want from great Metallica albums. So if you look at the first four or five songs, I think you took some of those, maybe spit out the bone at the end. There's a seven or eight song album in here that I think could have been actually great, but the one right now gets a little too plotting at points for me. Yeah, what you're saying exactly echoes my favorite review of the album, which was up on Spin. Uh, Brandon Stosi wrote it, and at the very end he was like, if you took the best seven or eight songs from both discs and made them one CD, it would be, like, pretty darn good. And I think most, like you mentioned, Spit Out the Bone, he had Man Unkind in there, which is ridiculously titled, but is a good song. Yes. Halo on Fire, and then the first three of the first four, Moth into Flame, Atlas Rise, and Hardwired, that was, like, the perfect eight. I Dream No More, I think I would throw in there. I, I like the, how that kind of harkens back to some of the crunchier Black Album era songs, but I, I agree with that mostly. I, I feel like those are the ones that I would pick out for sure. So uh, they had a whole bunch of different ways to consume this album, as is 2016. They had you know, your standard CD, vinyl. They had Black Friday, super deluxe extended stuff. They had you know, obviously the streaming. How did you go about consuming this Metallica album? 
I just downloaded it to my phone. I, I didn't watch any of the ridiculous videos that I've heard about. I listened to it from start to finish probably three or four times. I was lucky enough to be traveling last week. So I was in New York the day it came out. I flew to Atlanta last Monday. So whether it was trains or on the plane or even when I was kind of walking around a couple different cities, I had some different vantage points and some different settings to take it in. But for the most part, I consumed it in a pretty traditional way. Okay. So I want to get into your mindset of what it's like being like a big fan of Metallica cuz honestly I never I didn't exactly like listen to them growing up. I mostly just did my homework and got into the important stuff while I was on staff at Billboard the past few years. So do you feel when a new Metallica album comes out and it's been like all these missteps of the past, you know, 15 years or so, some things that didn't go over as well like suing Napster and waiting so long in between albums and all the bad reviews that Lulu got, stuff like that. Like, Do you feel like there's just so much pressure with Metallica doing an album? Like, don't mess this up. There was part of me that definitely cartoonishly walked up to the album and just dipped my toe in very slowly, both emotionally and in throwing myself into it. I didn't listen to it right when it came out. I didn't listen to it all at once the first time. I did it in little chunks in order to not have it ruined for me. So I definitely feel that, you know, and even with Deck Magnetic, I never threw myself into it completely. I listened to it one time through. I didn't like it and I didn't meditate on it. I really didn't sit and think about what was wrong with it, why I didn't like it. I just decided to say, eh, I'm good. And as far as Lulu goes, I didn't listen to it. I, I listened to like one and a half songs. It's like, I'm not doing this to myself because there is that element of this is the band I grew up on. This is the band I love. There are so many albums that to me stand alone and are very special. And you're right. The newer stuff, when it is a misstep, does taint it a tiny bit. And that was my concern with this. But listening to this album, I never felt that way. And that was a pleasant surprise. What is your favorite track on the album? Probably Atlas Rise. That's mine too. Awesome. I like Hardwired. I think it's a really good song. I think it's a great opener. Again, it reminds me of Kill 'em All songs. I, it reminds me of like Motor Breath or Jump in the Fire. It's just driving in that way. But Alice Rice has that same feel. And I just think that with this album, you have some of the urgency of early Metallica records and then some of the kind of the cleaned up nature of later Metallica records. And that was the problem with Load and Reload is that they were a little too clean. They were a little too squeaky. But having both elements in some of those songs like Alice Rise, I feel like can give you a pretty great end product. And it's one we didn't get to see on Load and Reload because even when they were a little bit more put together, they didn't have that urgency about them. So I feel like this is our first chance to really see songs like that. And Alice Rise is a perfect example of how it can go right. What do you think about that album art? I like it. I, I mean, it's not terrible. It's better than semen and blood, which is what was on the load cover. I mean, it, there, there are certain bad ways you can go with this and certain good ways. And I feel like even though it's a little hokey, I'd rather have hokey than stupid. So do you think in putting that album cover together and for those who haven't seen it, sort of this 
combination of all four of their faces all making these frenzied expressions with multicolors on their faces in one face. You think they were just kind of fucking around. They're not being serious with that. Uh, they might be. <laughs> I wouldn't say they're not being serious. I don't know how much you know about Metallica and Cool. Metallica, <laughs> and it's one of the reasons that I started liking Metallica when I was a kid. Metallica has never been cool. Even when Metallica was the greatest band in the world, the biggest band in the world in the early 90s, they were never cool. Guns N' Roses was cool. Metallica never was. And I feel like that's always who they've been. They aren't going to make the decisions that come off as laid back and nonchalant and as if they're a little bit removed from everything. They're not removed. They're not casual. And I feel like that album cover and even some of the lyrics on this album are just another example of that. Yeah, it's like in the beginning of, like, for instance, Moth into Flame really makes me think of these goofy James Heffield lyrics where he's like, pop queen, amphetamine, kind of rapping, throwing, not really rapping, yes. throwing words together that just kind of, I guess he thinks they sound cool together. But it's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, James has never been a killer lyricist. I'll, I'll say that. I mean, his best work is mostly on, so- on albums where the song themes are things like Nuclear War and the Death Penalty. I mean, things that are completely removed. They're all his best stuff lyrically, in my mind, is more removed. It, it, there's a there's a distance from it. He's an onlooker into something. It's voyeuristic. It's not intrinsic. And you get into that sometimes in this album. It's a little too intrinsic, and it does get a little hokey. Yeah, it's like ever since maybe like like getting clean and not drinking anymore, was it around then when he got more introspective, you think? No, I don't think so. I, I think you saw that even in some of the post and Justice for All work, you know. The Black Album had some stuff like that, you know, Sad But True yeah. is all about duality and you know Blowed was there were some songs like that. Even the the Black Album has more ballads on it than their first four albums combined. So it is a little bit softer when you're thinking about both the way the songs are built and the way the songs are portrayed lyrically. So I don't think it was when he got clean or anything like that. I feel like it was mostly in the post-Black Album, even the Black Album era, where that those themes started to change. So yeah, we were just talking about you saying Metallica never really was cool. So I think that's a good jumping off point to discuss your time as being a Metallica super fan and interacting with the world as a big fan of the band. So how did you get into them? I, I, I remember the exact moment. I'll never forget it. I was in my eighth period kind of study class. Maybe seventh, excuse me. It's my seventh grade study class, which is like this half-hour little advisory we had before lunch. And my friends and I were talking about music. And at that point, I was 13, and I was you know, starting to get into like Led Zeppelin and classic rock, things of that nature. And my buddy made me listen to Fade to Black. And I saw God. I mean, it was almost a religious experience. I listened to that song, and a switch just kind of flipped. And from then on out, I just dug into Metallica. So I, I, you know, I'd heard Nothing Else Matters and Matter, Sandman and all that kind of stuff, the later songs that everybody knows when the Black Album sold 20 million copies or whatever. But 
my first real dive into Metallica as a fan was the older stuff. So it's not as if I kind of worked backwards. It's that I started with Ride the Lightning and just went both ways. All I had to get after, before that was Kill Em All, and then I started working forward. So I dove into old Metallica before I really understood anything else. And when you first heard them, I guess this would have been like years following Load and Reload? Yeah. So 2001, if the Load came out in 96, Reload came out in 97. So it would have been three or four years after that. Okay. So there was no pretense of wanting to be cool in middle school and loving Metallica? No, not at all. It was actually very uncool. <laughs> and when I became the kid who wore a Metallica t-shirt every day, it was not cool. I, I will, let me make that clear. <laughs> What was like, what did you perceive as the cool music in this school? I don't even know. I feel like at that point, emo was really big. Yeah, that was kind of during that big emo peak. Oh, you where, think emo you know, was cool? It wasn't cool, but there was a <laughs> lot of kids that listened to that then. I don't know uh, what was cool. I wouldn't say, I guess like Dave Matthews Band. Like people that listen to Dave Matthews Band and Fish, those were kind of the kids that we're on the cooler side, but I'm not sure music was ever a demarcation of who was cool and who wasn't. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, I was an emo and pop punk kid growing up in New Jersey and I can actually, I mean, it's like, it is very lame in certain ways, but I can see how some sides of it could be perceived as in that moment in time, a cool thing. It, it was more so that it was just a way to kind of have a group of people. So it's not that one group is necessarily cooler than the other. I think you know, this was in the early 2000s. You know, cool and not, I feel like, was starting to fade away a little bit more than it was 20, 30 years ago. But there was this idea where you had a community if you listened to a certain type of music. And that's just one I can remember being very defined in that moment in time. So what, what was this community group of friends like who were into Metallica with you? Uh, my friends who played in a band, and, you know, honestly, there are guys I played football with later, and you know, we got to be friends of a different kind as we got older. But at that point, they were kids in my classes, you know, smart kids who, you know, were a little bit weird and, and liked hard rock music at a time where a lot of people didn't. So, yeah, they, they were just kids I was in class with, and then they became the kids I listened to music with, and eventually they became my friends in kind of every single capacity as time went on. Mm-hmm. So you think there was, like, some overlap with the kids you play football with and, like, the metal crowd? There was just one or two. You know, the kid that originally had me get into Metallica was somebody that eventually became one of my better friends through football. But I think that was more happenstance than it was anything else. I wouldn't link the two at all. Okay. Because I was thinking, like, Metallica is a band that definitely, I think, has had a football following and connections to football, I think, at least more so than your average rock band and how much they have repped the Oakland Raiders over the years. And I mean, a lot, a lot of this might have been a little bit before my time when you would have had lots of players in the NFL who liked Metallica, but I feel like in the 90s that could have been a big thing. Yeah, I feel like there's some that still are. You know, Dan Campbell, who was the interim coach for the Dolphins last year, loved Metallica. Uh, so there are guys that are still into it, and he probably would be from that era, honestly. That yeah. is when he played in the NFL. For me, the relationship between Metallica and football has always been that when you're in a stadium, you hear a ton of Metallica songs. Mm -hmm. And it's not just Sandman. It's songs like Seek and Destroy or For Whom the Bell Tolls, songs that aren't necessarily the biggest Metallica hits, but just have this anthemic arena quality to them that makes them perfect for settings like that which is why when metallica played 
a show the day before the Super Bowl halftime show in San Francisco last year, I thought it was kind of weird. This notion that Metallica was somehow unfit for the Super Bowl is strange to me because when you're in a, a stadium, you hear like six Metallica songs in the course of those four hours. Nah, it was it was Coldplay who had it. I know. Had, trust me, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? What was it like taking in Coldplay, Bruno, and Beyonce from the crowd? It was awful. <laughs> I, I don't really know how else to frame it. It was not good. And whether that was the acoustics or whether that was it actually being a bad performance, I can't speak to that because I was there and haven't really watched any videos. But I'll say that you know the Katy Perry's halftime show was pretty good. So. There are are halftime shows in person that aren't terrible. I I was not a fan of what happened last year, though. Do you think a lot of it is because a lot of the people there are just getting up and doing other things or not really invested in it? That's part of it. I think that's definitely part of it. It's also harder to do it outside, I think. You know, when you're in a closed stadium, you can play with the lights a little bit more. I feel like that has something to do with it. And in Arizona, obviously, it was in the Dome, so... I don't know. I think it's hard to do those sort of performances well, but I can tell you that what happened last year wasn't even close. Yeah, so we'll talk a little bit more about Metallica's big Super Bowl show last year. Right now, I'm going to drop in a little word from our sponsors. So yeah, you actually covered that show pre-Super Bowl San Francisco Metallica concert for Billboard last year. So just tell me what the vibe was like there. What was it like being in that crowd versus the Super Bowl crowd the next evening? It was very different. And Metallica is the type of band where it doesn't matter where it is, their fans are going to travel. You know, I saw them in Minneapolis this year when they were the second, I think, event ever in the new Viking Stadium. They played the day after Luke Bryan did. And the hotels in Minneapolis were sold out. There were so many people who will come from anywhere to see Metallica. It is a crowd that is devoted and willing to travel and just has a, like a veracity about them that I feel like it's hard to match with like any other band. And that's part of why I love them, just because the sense of community and the sense of whatever around that band is so strong that you feel it really anywhere you go and anywhere you see them. Yeah, so it's probably comes in handy to have those Metallica shirts whenever you go travel somewhere. Always pack at least one in the suitcase. Whip it out. I can't remember the last time I left my house of your on a trip without one. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I left my house without one as far as like going on a trip goes. I bring at least one everywhere I go. I, that may be kind of sad. I'm not sure what that says about me. What is your best Metallica shirt? I have one that I got at a thrift store in LA that was more expensive than I like to admit just because it's kind of hard to find. And it's a blown up version of the electric chair from Ride the Lightning. And it's not the electrocuted guy on the back. It actually says Ride the Lightning in big white letters. So I like that one a lot. It's a little snug, and I probably shouldn't wear it as often as I do. But when I'm in Metallica shirt, I'm kind of shameless because I like to echo their own sentiments about things. Did you pay more for it than Odell Beckham Jr. paid for his? Probably not, but wasn't his just a normal Ride the Lightning shirt? I, forget. I, it, I can't imagine why you'd spend that much on that shirt. You could buy it for $20 on the Metallica website. I mean, it is pretty interesting just in how the logo itself and the artwork from their shirts over the years has really endured to where I think that there could be a decent amount of kids now. And this is nothing against the bands for anything in their control, but I think a decent amount of kids now 
could maybe think that Metallica is like a clothing brand and not even realize it's a band. It's true. And the fact that there's a device or whatever you would call it on the internet now where you can use take any words and Metallicaize them, yeah. and I, which is really fun. I enjoy that. I mean, I like that it's iconic, and that's one thing that Metallica has always done really well. There are a lot of thrash bands that probably would have wanted to become Metallica in the mid to late 80s. But Metallica was very good at branding. Their name is Metallica. I mean, they're just very good at making that kind of stuff marketable, accessible, whatever. And the name and the logo, I mean, those are just examples of that. Yeah, it's like I remember thinking when I saw everyone doing those name logos the day the album drops, that just makes so much sense. Like, a lot of artists will do like a Snapchat filter or something like that, but that can be a little bit more, you know, cliche because anyone can do that. But yeah, just taking your iconic look from an era past and imparting it onto this current era in the internet really well is not easy to do. That's why I kind of have such a problem with the Load Reload and St. Anger era in general. If you look at the Metallica logos and how the name is written on each of those albums, it's awful. So the way that Metallica is written and portrayed on an album, just the name, I think says a lot about the quality of the album. Mm. Yeah, and I guess it was Death Magnetic was when they went to it. Because in a lot of ways, they yep. wanted that to be a return to form album with Rick Rubin and everything. It was not. <laughs> as much as they wanted it to be, I will say it was not. I mean, it's fine. I don't think it has near the heart. I don't think it has near the looseness. I feel like Kirk is actually enjoying himself on Hardwired the way he's not on Death, Death Magnetic. At that point, it just seemed like, oh, solos. We're back to solos, which is just such a dumb way to look at it in my mind. I feel like if you don't come to it organically, then you're not – it's not going to be any good. And I think this one, as much as it is calculated, as much as it's a double album that is way over long, whatever, it does feel like it came to them in a more natural way than Death Magnetic did. Yeah, and like – I didn't get into, say, St. Anger when it first came out, so I went back and listened to that not too long ago, like, basically for the first time. And it's funny, people hate that album so much, but I was like, oh, these, these drum sounds actually sound kind of cool. I'll leave you to have that opinion. <laughs> that is not the way I feel about it. The only saving grace of St. Anger to me is they re-released some kind of monster as a, a kind of a shortened version of it where they redid the drum parts, and I like that song. Aside from that, there is nothing redeeming to me about the St. Anger era. Okay. And it's like, I get that, because I know those feelings come out of a deep fandom for the band and all sorts of levels of appreciation that I just have never had in my life. But with me, it's just like, huh, this percussion sound doesn't really sound like much I've heard before, and I find it interesting. But I'm in the minority. When I get to hell, I will hear the ping of that snare drum for the rest of eternity. <laughs> That is my nightmare. That that is my eternal damnation. If you could if you think if they could scrub one thing, you think that album would be it? Just anything at all. Hmm. Cuz there I mean, <laughs> it would either be that album, the entire Napster debacle overall, or the makeup and just the am I, or excuse me, the Until It Sleeps video as a whole. If they could just wipe the Until It Sleeps video off the face of the earth, I think that we'd be really happy about it. Kirk Hammett's eye makeup in that video is just – that stuff you can't unsee. What about the photo of Robert and uh, James outside of Armani? 
Yeah, that one's easier for me. He came a little bit later. I feel like Robert should get a little bit more leeway than everybody else. He didn't perpetuate as many of the sins as the other guys have, so I think that he has a long way to go. I mean, James was the one who was wearing those, like, plaid, pack sun kind of shorts and flip-flops. So Robert was just kind of hanging. It's a, it's a rough look. And that's <laughs> the thing, though. These guys are millionaires. I mean, it, it, as much as all of this is metal and, like, the, there are a lot of songs that harken back to early thrash days, these guys have been around for, what is it, 35 years now? And they've made a lot of money and they're incredibly successful. I feel like getting any sort of artistic purity out of that band right now is a miracle. So if they have to get caught at Armani every once in a while and they can still make albums like this, I'll take that trade off. <laughs> there are some some great memes. If there's any anything to pull redeeming out of that, it produced some great memes. There was like the yeah. shor- the shorts that should not be. Oh God, yeah. There's so <laughs> many ways you could do that. That's incredible. That's so true. Oh man. What about were you ever into Slayer? Because they had a big, big football connection too. Here's the thing with metal bands and me, I've never really got into any other band except for Metallica. Most of my other favorite bands are not metal bands. You know, I would say my second favorite band ever is Nine Inch Nails, which okay. isn't directly linked to Metallica whatsoever. I mean, that's like early industrial music. I mean, it's just a different sort of sound overall so it's not as if metallica and bands like them are what i'm into it just happened to be that at a certain moment in time metallica really caught me huh yeah it's really bizarre i've never understood how to explain it actually but it's true that's just the way it's gone and i mean with you i mean we were saying before how they were the biggest band in the world for number of years so it makes sense that they would reach like a universe of acceptability that's outside of the metal circle. Yeah, I mean, that's the entire point. And there was an irony to when I started listening to Metallica, I thought this it may be different and you know, nobody else listened to Metallica that I grew up with except for a couple of my friends. It really set us apart. And I set myself apart by hooking myself to the biggest band ever. In like the last 25 years. You know, Metall- the Black Album is still the biggest selling album of the SoundScan era. Like, from 1991 to right now, nothing else has been bigger as far as rock bands go. So, in order to differentiate myself, I started listening to that band. I should reiterate that 14-year-old me was really dumb. I mean, it's an age where a lot of kids, I think they want to set themselves apart, like you just said. But in, like, a 14-year-old mind, the way that manifests itself is to like the rebellion that a lot of other people have. Yes, that's very true. I mean, it's hard really to see outside of your own scope at that age and seeing just a little bit outside of it, even if on the grander scale that makes you like a lot of other people. I, I think it still makes sense to your warped mind. Did you have metal hair? No. Oh, God, no. I've never had long hair. Uh, I would say that right now my hair might be the longest it's ever been. That's okay. never a look I went with. I'm pretty sure my dad would have kicked me out of the house. Because, like, Dan Campbell, for instance, the coach who we brought up a little while ago, if you go – he's like, has a, you know, kind of like, like the haircut that James would have these days. You know, like a presentable haircut for a man in his 40s or 50s, short hair. If you look at him back in the 90s when he played, he's got some, like – he kind of has almost like a Chad Kroger look going with, like, long brown male locks. I'm looking at it right now. It's absolutely horrible. Yeah. <laughs> his facial hair is really objectionable. He has a terrible tattoo. 
Oh man, it's. I don't really want to make. Fun. I don't want to turn this into a Dan Campbell teasing fest. Hey, you know what? I am. I'm not going to do that. I'm not that. I'm not going to hate on Dan Campbell. I actually pitched a story while I worked at Sports Illustrated to go watch that Metallica concert in San Francisco with, with? Dan Campbell. Oh my! What was he there? No, I didn't know if he was going to be there because a lot of the NFL just personnel is in San Francisco for Super Bowl week when it, you know whatever city it's in. So I, he was an assistant for the Saints, and I pitched it to them, and it just never came to fruition. I really wanted to do it. Yeah, because I was thinking maybe he was kind of in that interview process around that time, but maybe he was, I guess you just said, just already hired by the Saints. Yeah, he was already there. I reached out to them. I, I tried to make it happen, but sometimes these things fall through, unfortunately. Well, maybe at least got Dan Campbell's Gmail. No, not even that. I went through their NPR, <laughs> so they, it, not even that came of it. Okay. <laughs> Are there any other players who come to mind over the years who've been vocal fans? Not really. I, I haven't noticed anybody even listening to it or wearing a shirt or anything like that. Um, you assume it would happen. I guarantee you that it does. You know, some of the Cowboys linemen in the early 2000s were metal guys. They had their own band. But nobody's ever said anything to me, and I've never really noticed it. Yeah, I feel like it's an early 90s thing that would, like, just yeah. go before, like, my era of knowing football where it was – there were definitely some linemen who had Metallica shirts underneath their jerseys during games. Oh, in, absolutely. In 1992. Which I support. I feel like it would give you an extra oomph some way. Have you ever uh, met Metallica or just interacted with them in any way? Nope. I with bands like that, I don't think I would ever want to. I would. I would never want to actually interview them or do a story about them. I feel like reviewing a concert's a little bit different. You know, mm-hmm. so much of your only so much of your worldview can be shattered at a bad concert. Even though I've never seen Metallica put on a bad concert, but meeting guys like that, I just wouldn't want to. I, I, those are just a, it's a different thing to me. You know, covering football for a living, I feel like. It's changed the way I think about football and sports. And music to me is always something I've enjoyed viewing as a distance. I've always had kind of a safe step away from it. And meeting them would definitely sabotage that. Yeah. And also it's – and you can't blame them for this. But artists of that size usually have different personas that they put to the world when they're meeting a fan or or just just somewhere, anywhere in the world randomly versus when they're actually doing press or like doing a formal interview. Totally. Yeah, I, I caught um, – they did a town hall-style Q&A session with a bunch of fans they pre-selected for Sirius, and I watched it in the, the recording studio in New York a couple, couple months ago. They, they came off as, you know, good guys, well-adjusted, it seemed like, especially James. I feel like that's new. Well, yeah, I, and when you're famous for how long they've been famous, and, and especially for the last quarter century or so to that extent – I think even by accident, you have to be pretty good at putting on that sort of face. James was telling stories about driving his kids back and forth to soccer practice and the music they listened to on the radio. (laughs) (laughs) There there was one moment, though, where Lars was just like, yeah, I went up to, like, 
went up to some members of Ozzy's band at the airport, and they were just like, who's going to be the next one? Who's going to be the next metal band? And I was just like, I don't know, man. Who's going to be that next band? <laughs> so there is, there's a little bit, a little bit of a... Uh, little bit of the personalities coming out yeah i feel like with him as much as he wants to not have that happen there's really no control over it lars is going to come out if you put him in front of a microphone for long enough (laughs) so you've you were you were saying how you've interviewed lots and lots of football players athletes over the years and you've gotten used to that so you're saying that you think it would be a very different dynamic for you to meet musicians you've admired for a long time yeah, because I like being a fan. I like the fact that music is not my profession. Music is something that I can enjoy with more of kind of an unabashed just you know, enthusiasm. You know, it's not something that I have to look at with a critical lens. Yeah, I like to be critical of music sometimes. I like to view it in a way that is intelligent, but it's not my job. It's not something that I have to be vigilant about in terms of how I look at it, how I interact with it. Sports are not like that anymore. You know, I, I'm not doing that. I watch football for work and it's not just something that's fun it's not just something i can enjoy you have to look at it in a way that's just a little bit more there's a little more discipline to it and i like the undisciplined way in which i get to listen to music a lot of undisciplined listens to death magnetic <laughs> maybe the best way to experience that or you should go back and give an undisciplined listen to lulu i think it's time and that's impossible. I'm always on edge while listening to it. any sort of Lulu, any mention of Lulu puts me on edge. So that's all discipline all the time. Well, you know, a little bit after Bowie died, when people were telling all their David Bowie stories and whatnot, someone came out and was like, yeah, we, I was talking to David Bowie, you know, a little bit towards the end, and he was saying, yeah, that Lulu album, people misunderstood it, but I think once it settles in, it'll be one of their... Lou Reed's best albums ever. Yeah, one of Lou Reed's best albums ever, not one of Metallica's best albums ever. Okay. And I feel like if you release a piece of art that only David Bowie can understand, it's probably not something you should have put out. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, so that's about everything I had at my end. Bowie touched on some neat stuff here. Anything else about Metallica, the new album you want to throw out there? No, man, I'm happy about it. You know, I'm glad they came and, and can present this to maybe a new generation of people. You know, if you are listening to Metallica for the first time, you know, if this is something that is going to get you into them, that's great. I, I encourage you to go back and listen to everything else. You know, there are flashes and com- some of the early stuff in here, but the early stuff is still better. You know, if you enjoy those first four or five songs, go listen to songs like Motor Breath or songs like Jump in the Fire or Four Horsemen. You know, go listen to Kill 'Em All. Go listen to Ride the Lightning. these are kind of nuggets of what made Metallica great once. And even though that's nice for me now, it's still even better to use this as an excuse to go back and listen to everything else. And they're still playing them live. Yeah, man, which is always great. You know, it's one of the things I enjoy most in the world still is getting to see Metallica live. There's just something to that band and some of those songs. When you listen to the breakdown of Creeping Death Live, that's it. You know, that's why I love music and hearing, you know, 50,000, 60,000 people chanted at the same time. There's still something powerful to that. It may, maybe a Super Bowl halftime show. You never know. Hey, I, they got my vote, man. I'll be there. So I'm likely to be there. So if they play any Super Bowl that I'm sitting at anyway, it, even better for me. We might need a second go around of Coldplay to truly send them off before they break up. But 
Metallica will have their time. <laughs> if they want to put out Coldplay for like a song and then Metallica can just kick them off stage and start playing just to show everyone what they should be doing at a Super Bowl halftime show, that's fine with me. Man, shots fired. Hey, you know what? It's a football game. I, I feel like Metallica is a little bit more appropriate for a football game. <laughs> All right, well, yeah, I like I enjoyed the uh, the album as well. Atlas Rise. I think we were right there on the favorite song. So yeah, I'm also kind of on this like you were saying of getting someone new into the the history and the old stuff. So it's been fun the past year to uh, to get back into this. So yeah, thanks for hopping on the phone and talking Metallica. Absolutely. I'm going to go listen to Master of Puppets now all the way through. It's going to be great. (laughs) That's it. That's the show. Hope you enjoyed it. Robert was great. That was a lot of fun to do. As I was touching on in in the episode, I've Never really been a huge connoisseur of Metallica's music, just more of a casual fan up until very recently in covering this album for Billboard because that's my beat, a lot of the rock and alternative stuff, and I've been really giving myself a deeper education on Metallica in recent months, so really enjoyed getting inside the head of someone who's been with this band for such a long time, and I hope you did too. So like I said at the top of the show, a star rating on iTunes helped us out tremendously with everything we do with the podcast. We're always trying to reach more people and do it better. So rating, and specifically if you can enter in whatever you liked, didn't like, would like to see more of, changes we can make with the show, all super helpful and very, very appreciated. I host the Headliner Interview episode, what you just heard, every Thursday on Billboard's Pop Shop podcast. It's usually with a musician. Sometimes it's with someone else in the world of music like Robert, and it's across all sorts of genres and what we're touching on, talking about. In a couple days, Keith and Katie from L.A. will be back with their weekly episode of Pop Shop. So it's one show, different episodes with different hosts each week, all a good time. Hope you keep listening. So that's all I have to say. I'll catch you later. Bye-bye, guys. Up to never, never land.